Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warriors, to another Suncast episode. Today's going to be a little bit different, but I'll tell you why in a moment. Thank you, first of all, for giving me the opportunity to entertain you for the next hour. I don't take it lightly. Your attention and time are resources that are earned. They're also non-renewable. Thank you for being here. Today's episode is actually a rebroadcast, but not from a Suncast interview, rather from one of our new podcasts, a podcast called Climate Avengers, where we dissect what's happening in climate tech from both the founder and the investor point of view. We're about to wrap up season one of that podcast. And if you haven't listened to a single episode there, I thought I'd share here the one that I hosted. Uh, and this is someone that you may have already heard about in our solar industry. Not all of our guests on Climate Avengers are in the solar industry, but I would encourage you go check it out. You can learn more at resourcelabs.co. Resourcelabs.co. You can find everything about it, or you can search Climate Avengers in whatever podcast player you're listening to. Today's episode is with Devin Hampton, the CEO of Utility API. Many of you probably come across Utility API and maybe even Devin as he is uh, he's in a lot of different places and making waves and influencing lots of different activity in our industry. My hat's off to Devin and the work that he and the Utility API team are doing, connecting the dots, connecting the data and making it free and liberated for use in our industry. I spent about an hour with him to interview really about the utility API journey for him and how they raised capital and thought about culture. And it was so good that I said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to actually do a separate interview for, for Suncast. I think we should just give the Suncast audience the opportunity to listen to this, at least those of you who have not already become listeners of Climate Adventures. I do hope that you will become a Climate Avengers listener, but of course there are more than 600 additional founder stories and startup advice for the clean tech journey you are on, all in the back catalog that you can find in your podcast player of choice, of course, or at mysuncast.com. Don't forget to sign up to receive a notification when every episode is dropped and to subscribe right in the podcast player you are probably listening to right now or on YouTube if you're watching this. Thank you for doing that for now. Let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solo Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Hey, welcome in to Climate Avengers. My name is Nico Johnson. If you've been listening to the last few episodes, you might not recognize my voice, unless, of course, you listen to the first two. I'm the executive producer of Climate Avengers podcast and the founder of Resource Labs, the network in which Climate Avengers is being published. I'm standing in today for your regular host, Elena Folks. I had the opportunity and the privilege of getting to know and helping you get to know Mr. Devin Hampton, who is the current CEO and board director of Utility API, which is a platform that provides the data access network for the energy transition. We're going to dig into what that means and how it was built and funded. But we're also going to learn more about Devin 
as a non-founder CEO who has many different initiatives, among them Empowering Diverse Climate Talent or EDICT, a collective of over 70 climate tech companies that has created over 200 career opportunities for people from non-traditional backgrounds in tech. He also serves on various boards. We'll talk about some of those in today's conversation. But first, I wanted to say hello, Devin. It's great to finally get a chance to spend some time with you. Yeah, Nico, I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to, to our conversation today. Likewise, Devin. So there are a number who are both uninitiated in what utility API is. We'll talk about that in a moment, but also who Devin Hampton is, or perhaps they've seen one of your many uh, eloquent LinkedIn or blog posts or the articles written about you. For those who don't know much about Devin Hampton, let's talk a bit about your journey. How did you get here as a climate tech CEO? You've gone from literally baggage handler to the boardroom. Can you give us a brief history of that transition in your career? Yeah, I, I'll try to make it as brief as possible, right? It was a two-decade climb, but I, you know, I, it's exactly right. I just came to the, the boardroom. My my first job, I dropped out of college, I think when I was 19, I was a union ramp agent. My job was to load luggage and to tell airports apart. I got laid off after five years. The whole union got laid off, um, you know, and, and I simply needed a job in my mid-20s, right? 25 years old, no job. Um, I worked in bars, I worked in hotels, I helped create a boutique wine distribution business or I helped actually someone else created it. I helped just deliver the wine and run the warehouse and like, you know, just, I, I, I really had the opportunity to do some really interesting, different things, right? Like I wasn't on a career trajectory. I wasn't trying to build a career. I, I was working to pay bills. Um, and I had a lot of fun. Um, uh, I always had an interest in politics though. And so in 2007, this guy, Barack Obama, started running for president. And I decided, you know, if not now, when? So I was like, I want to work for this guy. And I tried to work for him and no one returned my emails. Um, but luckily, uh, I was bartending at the time. And one of my patrons said, hey, I'm running for city council in Seattle. You can work for me. And I was like, hey, guess what? That's politics. I'll do it. That's right. Um, he ended up, right. I'll do it. He ended up winning. I got a desk at City Hall as an intern. That's awesome. Uh, still working at the bar at night. Um, that led to a job with the governor of Washington state. And then through that, I met somebody who was working with this guy, Barack Obama. Was that, was that Jay Inslee at the time? No, it was Chris Gregoire. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Just before Jay Inslee. And so I met a guy working for Barack Obama and, and found a way to get a job working on that campaign. This all happened within a year. So wow. from a year from the time I decided to go do this work, I was backstage at an event. I'll never forget it was Pendleton, Oregon talking to Barack Obama about like where he was going to stand, you know, very, 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 um, you know, tough job. Like anybody could have done it, but I was very proud to be the one that day, uh, doing it. Um, yeah. And then obviously he won. So, um, try to make this real fast, right? He won. And I didn't even know this, but if you work for a campaign that is successful, there are jobs available and I didn't know much. And sometimes that's a great thing, but I knew how to get things done. And so I got offered a job helping, you know, organize Secretary of Energy's schedule. And I moved to D.C. Yeah. And um, went from a, a novice, uh, just political guy, to an energy expert because I literally got to work at the Department of Energy with the world's top experts in everything energy. I stayed there for six years, six and a half years, maybe seven years, actually. And I then left to go be chief of staff of an organization called the Trade Development Agency. I stayed for both terms at the Obama administration. Like, it's, you know, I went from a baggage handler to a bartender to doing energy policy and then beyond. Um, and 
about eight years, but yeah. Do I recall as well that there was a moment in the Obama administration where you questioned, am I in the right place? <laughs> I did. Yeah. It's a great, great memory. I, I, um, you know, I, after the first term or the middle of like, towards the end of the first term, I was like, okay, like I've been doing this for a long time, four years, not even four years. And at that point I'd gotten a little more focused. Hey, I, I need to, what am I going to do with my career? Right. Something I've never really thought about before. And I saw like, do I want to stay in government? No. Do I want to stay in politics? Probably not. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go do something else. And I took a walk on the National Mall, very DC kind of moment. And like, you know, to my left is the Lincoln Memorial. To my right is, you know, the Capitol. And I can see the White House. Right. And I'm like, all right, man, it just washed over me. It's like the next time you get a chance, this is what I said to myself. It actually doesn't make any sense. But the next time you get a chance to work for the first black president of the United States, you can quit. And it was just a great reminder of the moment that I was able to be a part of and the work that we were doing and how important that was. So I, I stayed to the end, actually. I shut off the lights on the last That's day amazing. of administration. Mm. Yeah. That's amazing. I'd love to hear the opportunity uh, sort of decision tree that led you ultimately to work in climate tech specifically. Can you walk me down that path here? Yeah. And you, you, for all intents, could be a lifer in in government, there certainly was uh, would have been more opportunity for you to follow on down that career path. Why climate tech? And then ultimately, how did you land at Utility API? Yeah, so it's actually Utility API is what led me to climate tech. So it's a little backwards. Like I, um, like I said, closed the door in the administration. My wife and I decided we wanted to get out of D.C. We didn't want to be here for, for the Trump administration. Hmm. And well, period. Like we thought we were leaving D.C. forever. I'm standing right. in Washington, D.C. right now. So it shows how plans always always play out. But I, um, I was looking for a job and I got an opportunity. This is a, this is a longer story. I, I'll, I'll give you the short version, but a, a person that I met through her mother, I'm totally serious. Um, they're doing some civil rights organizing. Um, I met her mother, um, was running a, a pretty big deal, uh, climate tech accelerator and investment group. And she offered me a job mm-hmm. to help with some transitional stuff. And, um, well, I mean, I, you can say her name. Everyone in this community probably knows her. Her name is Dawn Lippert. Dawn's amazing. Wow. Uh, Dawn, Dawn runs Elemental Accelerator. Um, wow. And it's very kind of her to, to offer me a chance to come work on something different. Yeah. And I learned, I knew nothing about startups beyond like they were, you know, companies that we gave money to from the government or supported because we thought they were innovators. Right. That's yeah. it. And then here now I'm working for an organization that helps these startups get going. And does a great job of it. And, and Utility API was one of those startups. I met them at a party. <laughs> and um, I think that the, the, the piece that's important, though, is the decision tree, right? They were looking for someone to help do some, like, BD work, um, you know, a little more of the external stuff. And they offered me a job. And, you know, it wasn't they weren't going to pay me much. And I was, like, talking to, like, tech firms. They were going to pay me much, <laughs> you know? And the decision tree was climate tech, new and exciting. No idea, like, actually how it, like, what I can do long-term here, tech, kind of understand how that works, um, you know, big tech. Mm-hmm. And I asked a friend of mine, this is a very DC thing, and she was like, well, what's your price? I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, you have two opportunities in front of you. What's your price? I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, you sound very excited about the climate tech stuff. You don't sound very excited about the tech stuff. So the question I have is, are the tech people going to pay you enough to be miserable? Uh. And if it's not what you think you need to get paid to be miserable, I think you know your decision. And so 
I went to go work for Utility Path. I knew they would be exciting. I knew that I'd be able to do work on some really fun things that were very challenging, like hard. Like there wasn't a path at Utility API. The company was like six people. Yeah. Right. And what time frame was this? What year? 2017. Thank you for that, by the way. That is a brilliant question. I think it is one of those great mental models. It's a great framework for anyone who is considering their why. They're considering the many options. And there are loads of folks listening to this now that are considering their options. They definitely have a path to success in banking, in big tech, in big pharma, who knows, uh, in CPG goods. To be making three, four, five hundred thousand. I just heard someone who left a climate tech company to go to a fintech company to make $700,000 a year, right? So there's ridiculous money still now being thrown around to people who have talent and who have uh, credentials. But is, is what's your price is a great framework. I love that. So for the uninitiated around AT, utility API, you're an outsider looking in. You're working at Elemental. Explain the product as you saw it then. <laughs> what is utility API in 2017? In 2017, I mean, it was a small team, right? I think it was maybe, actually, maybe I was a six person. Maybe it was five people, mm-hmm. right? And 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 outside looking in, what did I, I, that's a great question. I hadn't thought about what I was thinking about it then. I frankly did not probably understand it as well as I should have before deciding <laughs> to go like take a job there. Um, I've always believed that I can learn anything quickly. And so I wasn't actually very concerned with, Will I be able to understand what they do? I was more concerned with like, is it actually any good? Mm-hmm. And so that my outside looking in was I met with the founder, a guy named Daniel. And I was like, how do I know if your stuff's any good? Because like I don't I don't write code. I don't know how anything about software. Right. And he was like, I don't mm-hmm. know, ask someone to test me. I don't know. He's like, um, but they'd they'd gotten two grants from the US Department of Energy that had said that basically most companies don't even get one. I knew this from uh-huh. back, back in the day, right? Most only get one. They gotten two. And both grants were basically saying the DOE believes that this is enabling technology, that this technology has to exist for the energy transition to happen. It's essentially what wow. both grants have been written is, right? Like we believe so much in this work that we're gonna give this company those you know, like a million and a half dollars because without this, we're stuck. And it was like to lower the price of, of solar uh, deployment and then to like help utilities like with their um, data systems. And I was like, so that was my proof point actually. It was like, I know how those decisions are made in those offices around who gets money uh-huh. and it is not taken lightly, right? And this company been bet on twice by people I trusted. So my outside looking into the time was like, oh, this is a good bet and it's a risk. And I like risks and my challenges. So like, I don't even have like a good story to tell you about like, oh, I saw the tech and I thought it was really neat and I was going to push some buttons. Actually, I'm going to push back on that. I disagree with you. I think that you do have a good story. And here's why, because here's the thing that you underestimate. There's a heuristic. You had a framework, a mental model for how to make a decision. And it was based on judging from trust implicit in a system. Okay, your trust in how the DOE makes decisions, your understanding, which took years to understand how the DOE uh, grant funding process works. Not just any average person knows how that works or has people that they can reference um, or a or a, uh, a a pattern matching through which through a lens of which through which they can look at and say, OK, this is aberrant to the norm. This actually 
suggests excellence in an area where um, where I wouldn't otherwise necessarily expect excellence, like to get two of these grants. So yeah. I'm simply going to posit that you do have a good framework for having made this decision. It is a great story in my view. <laughs> I appreciate that. I, you know, it's a, you know, I took it for, for, you know, granted that I had had so many years working with these people. Like mm-hmm. these are hard to like even administering the grants is hard. Right. Mm-hmm. And if this team could do that with like a few people, that alone is a, is, is, is not easy. So yes, you're right. Can you summarize then for, I mean, we're now 2023 over the last five years, what has, how have you developed certainly as we'll get into in your series, Hey, like how have you developed the pitch about what utility API <laughs> is not what you thought it was when you took the, the, the biz dev job and we'll get into your rise yeah. to CEO, but what is it now? What, how does like, what does the DOE brag about utility API now? Right? Yeah. What does it brag? I mean, they, they, it worked. Their bets worked, right? We're a platform that's used by uh, DER providers, energy service providers, energy mm-hmm. managers, you name it and energy utilities and consumers to securely share data on how much energy people are using and how much it costs. And mm-hmm. I know that sounds so simple, yet it didn't exist before us, and it's really hard to do. Yeah, that data, whether it's coming from a utility, whether it's coming from someone's you know car, not standardized. Like we yeah. built the platform to make it so that you can share all that with, and this is the important part, keeping it private and consent-driven. Right. People actually control who sees their data and how it's used. And I think that the, 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 some of the genius in the original founder concept is that use of API, right? Like this concept yeah. that we can give you a way to tap into data <laughs> yeah. that doesn't disclose, that doesn't uh, degrade the, the security yeah. of the data the way APIs do. It's exactly right. I mean, I, I, it's, you know, I, I've talked really like, you know, it's, it's not like we. This is new to tech, right? Uh, but we've seen pretty talented, smart, hardworking, innovative tech people try to crack this nut in energy, and it failed. It's you need a combination of really strong tech chops and an understanding of how the energy space works, right? Uh, the highly regulated energy space to be able to then put the pieces together. We've been working that hard at it for years, right? We. I'll tell you a quick story. We originally built just the API. You know, and for those listening, like, if you don't know what API is, exactly. We found out that most of the people at the time didn't know what API was either, right? And so quickly had to figure out something that, like, non-programming type people could use. And so we created all these human-facing interfaces to actually use the tool, right? Yeah. And now we're coming back to the world where the, the rest of the industry is caught up and that we can actually embolden and make more of the, the you know, APIs, the machine-readable formats uh, available. But that was our roots, and now we just kind of come back to that availability. But ahead of our time in so many ways, and, and, and we continue to push the envelope, which is pretty fun. Yeah. So ordinarily, Climate Avengers listeners would expect not only Lena's voice, but they would expect the, the founder's story. If you listened to the um, sort of my episode with Lena over on Suncast, or if you listened to the first um early sort of why we're doing the Climate Adventures podcast, you get some of the story of Alina, one of the co-founders of Utility API, and uh, can better understand and appreciate you know, her experience at um, Pacific Gas and Electric and their combined experience with tech and, and really thinking, not knowing how hard it would be, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the traditional founder story. But as we are exploring here, um, and we'll get into a little deeper, you are not one of the founders. You, uh, as you just described, uh, came in as the, uh, I think, v- vice president of business development uh, yeah. with 
no prior experience, no in energy industry specific experience, except uh, that of being at the Department of Energy, which gave you a very, very good overview, I would assume, of how the industry works. Talk about the progress from, yeah, I'll take a gamble uh, in my early now sort of uh, you know, tech career, climate tech, and go work at this company to, oh, well, I'm running the company and I'm responsible for all these people and the vision and I've got to go now raise capital. How'd you get there? Yeah, well, first, you know, the, the, I think there's a couple of things that are unique um, about how we run this company, right? We, we do run it as a team. So it's not just me, right? Our CTO and founder, Daniel, is still here. He founded the company, Alina, back in the day. Our COO, Lynn, is, uh, does a great job of keeping the engine going, right? Yeah. Um, also been there forever, like practically also, since yeah, the early yep, day one. Lynn and Daniel hired me, right? Yeah. So it's an interesting um, situation. She's like us. She's like an adopted co-founder, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so yeah. um, for me, you know, they they hired me and I don't remember saying this. Lynn said that when she interviewed me, I said, I have a penchant for taking things over. I don't remember saying that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I I, I I really don't know. I don't believe I said that, but she says I did and I believe Lynn. So I, I guess I, I, I trust her more than I trust my own recollection. So I, I was doing the BD stuff and actually another Climate Avenger link um, I was also helping with um, some of the the investor work, the, the kind of corporate relations and corporate right. development issues. And so Kyle and Climate Avengers, you know, Kyle Sherrick mm -hmm. founder said, hey, he's also an early investor in utility PI. was like, hey, y'all should just make Devin VP of corporate development so he can kind of do both because he's doing he's right. already doing that. Um, it's kind of similar to actually when I joined the, the Obama team. The way I got the first job there is I was doing something for Governor Gregoire called um, – I was called advanced work. I never heard of it before. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was doing. And someone's like, oh, you're doing advanced work. You should come do that for Barack Obama. And I said, well, what's advanced work? Right. And the same thing happened. I mean, like, I, I'm, I, I, I'm not as ignorant as I sound in these stories, but like, <laughs> like, I just had not seen these things before. And so Kyle was like, oh, you're doing corporate development. And I was like, what's corporate yeah, development? Nobody had like, named it for you. No one had named it. He's like, it's what you're doing. So I appreciate him, you know, kind of giving us the push and expanding mm. my portfolio. And so at this point, I'm doing the external stuff of the company, I'm doing the corporate development. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working on like what our growth looks like, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm starting to do the parts of like what a CEO would do. Um, and we were getting a lot of pressure from our early investors. Like, Hey y'all, like, you know, Alina had left at this point, like two years ago, she had this original CEO or maybe even three years. And they're like, y'all need a CEO. Like you can't just run this company without like, with this like vacuum here where like Lynn runs like the shop and Daniel's doing the tech about like, like, where's the like connection? Like, where's the, right. These roles exist for a reason. Um, and I'll be really frank. I felt at the time, and I think Daniel Lynn felt the same way. They kept giving us like the archetype of like, you know, well, this is like a tall white guy and he's going to like my friend. Uh -huh. like, and that wasn't going to work for us. Like, yeah, we had built a pretty good team already and we'd started to see some growth. And so I, I don't know if it was Lynn or Daniel, but they, they came up with the idea. I mean, it was both of them. They're like, well, Devin's already doing most of the work and we've seen this guy learn from zero to a hundred already, mm -hmm. I think he can go from a hundred to a thousand in no time. And it was really nice of them. They, they gave me the opportunity. They literally, I was like, what, what do y'all want? Right. We got something to talk to you about. And I was like, you've never said that before. Like what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, that I, we think you can help lead. And it was a pretty fast conversation. You know, we've been doing this together ever since, um, that was 20, 2020. Yeah. At some point, it became clear to the existing team 
that you were a great leader and also that there was a need to continue. You pointed to their ability to fund early stage growth capital for the company, right? Mm -hmm. um, there was an early, I think, angel round, obviously the two DOE grants and revenue from customers that, yeah. found, that formed, you know, I'll call it the, the base capital uh, mm -hmm. to get it to where it was when you became CEO. So I want to ask kind of two questions. A lot of folks look at the kind of investing that we're talking about as impact investing. So the first question I want to probe here as we get into fundraising is, how do you define impact? What is impact? And how do you see that as a part of this whole ecosystem? Uh, how do I personally, or how do you think the ecosystem sees it? Uh, both, yeah. <laughs> I may be pushing against the ecosystem, but for me, <laughs> if you call yourself an impact investor, it means you're more you're focused on more than just a return on capital. Because mm. if that's, you know, all you're focused on, then you're, you're an investor. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're an impact investor, to me, that means you care about something greater than just the ROI. Mm. Uh, doesn't mean you don't care about ROI. Like, you know, you need to keep making money to keep making a difference. But that you either care about climate change, you care about uh, creating more diverse teams, which actually cracks me up. That should even be an impact column because, like, we all know that more diverse teams mean more money. Mm -hmm stronger teams, right? Like right. I can't wait for the day that that's no longer part of impact investing because it's like, duh, right? right. It should be like, I, like it should be very soon where like, if you look at a team and it is like all the same type of person, but from the same school doing the same thing, then you shouldn't make that investment because you're going to like, you're, you're, you're missing out on like, you know, it's a, it's a iffy bet, right? Yeah. Where yeah. if you have a diverse group with diverse backgrounds who kind of have diverse skill sets, you're like, okay, that's a safer bet. Like, those folks to see around corners and that better. Um, but still yeah. right now that's the case where it is. And it should be a nice mix of those things. Right. And, mm -hmm. and I think maybe that's how the industry says they think about it as well. The second question is in 2020, 2021 timeframe, you assumed the role of CEO. How quickly were you thrust into, or did it become apparent to you that your role is not only building a team, but also capitalizing that team? and fundraising around this vision and and how did you go about that for me you know before like right around the same time or like right before we had a new product and we had no one to sell it and i was like i'll go mm -hmm. sell this thing and daniel and were like you don't know how to see never sold thing in your life and i was like okay <laughs> all right that's i don't see that as an issue here <laughs> right and i went and sold it and <laughs> um that gave us a pretty good amount of wind behind our sales because it was a pretty large contract that we had sold wow. It allowed us to have, um, you know, we had ran over, we did our DOE grants, ran out of the money there, had to build a profitable company to keep afloat. And then we closed yeah. this massive deal. And now we're like a profitable, like really profitable company because we're still like six mm. people, right? <laughs> and so, you know, we used to joke, we had more people in the meeting from the other company than we had in our company uh, at the table in the meeting, right? And then I say, I say that because, so we knew that we needed to raise some capital because we had to go faster. Mm. And, and actually at the time, so it was pretty apparent that was like going to be a big piece of what I had to lead, like from the get go, I was doing it before. Yeah. Right. Like, and we actually, we actually went out to raise a series A then, and you'll mm. notice in you read the, the news, right. We closed our series A last year. So like, what's, what happened? We actually had a series A that got through, got through IC, got through term sheet, everything. We were signing docs yeah, and it got pulled and um, you know, one of the, I won't call it the worst phone calls I've ever gotten. It was a tough phone call. 
remember distinctly, I was by myself in the office. Daniel and Lynn were at a conference, and they called. And they're like, hey, we can't do this deal. Some stuff's come up. Um, nothing to do with utility API. Um, literally, like, unfortunately, some of the people leading that investment are, have, have had charges pressed against them for some of the things that they were doing yeah. on board. Um, right. We just kind of got thrown out with the, the wash. What was neat about that is, you know, there's a saying that, that Lynn says a lot that, that I felt I've always lived my life, but I never had the words for it. Good news, bad news. Who knows? You know, we just lost millions of dollars in one phone call. Hmm. Luckily, we had a profitable organization or we've been toast because like we mm. were done. We were done. We kind of had to buckle back down. But you said profitable organization. The reality of the kind of business that you operate is not a hardware business where you had a burn rate of two, three months. You have a software business with, with monthly recurring revenue. Exactly right. The, the SaaS model really allowed us to, you know, the one thing that we were not able to do at the time, you know, which we just do now and get to that is, we can actually be ahead of our skis, right? We have enough mm. in the bank that we can be developing the products and the roadmap that we know we need to do right. and hiring the people and then creating the, the increased revenue through those you know, channels, right? Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid-cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. Its built-in DC to DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. Hey, pardon the interruption, but I wanted to just let you know how much of an impact you have on SunCast. Yeah, you, thank you for clicking play. Without you, this show is just me shouting into the void. But there's still people who don't even know about Suncast. I know, I can hardly believe it myself. <laughs> but that's where you can help me yet again. There's a simple way that you can show some love and help others discover the show. If you cruise over to www.ratethispodcast.com forward slash Suncast, I'd love it if you would leave a five-star rating and enthusiastic review. That's possibly the single kindest thing that you could do for me today. So if the show has helped, inspired, or even entertained you at all, I'd love it if you would head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast and give me a virtual two thumbs up. All right, back to today's episode. And that Series A, if I recall, was led by a strategic or a major corporate partner that yes. wanted to invest. Yeah, yeah. we don't need it. We're yeah. obviously not going to name who that was. But but I, I what I find interesting is that the pivot you made from that blow, uh, from a capital perspective, how you came back from it was yeah. a different capital stack. Yeah. Can you talk to me about identifying the need to, do, to think about the capital stack differently, uh, how you approached which investors because I know yeah. that you had, you eventually developed what I would call a methodical process for knowing who was going to be a captive audience, who was going to be the folks that you could pitch to. And I think that this is, in early stage, one of the most difficult things for a CEO to, to learn, let alone execute. I'd love for you to yeah. talk about that process. Well, I might, who knows if this is right or wrong, right? Um, I, I've always been told by others Oh, the way that you go raise money is it's a numbers game. You just talk to like 
hundreds of VCs until someone like bites. And I was like, that's just, that doesn't sound right to me. Um, and maybe because of, I'm just more of a, a relational person. I need to trust people to want to work with them. Right. Um, I know from experience that once you're like tied together through an investment, like you're tied together, you know, you need to know that you can trust each other and you can work together. Not only when times are good, but when times are bad. Yeah. And so trying to do a numbers game didn't make much sense to me because like, well, if I just pick someone out of that, like, right. you know, and so I made it, this is from, you know, early days. I, I just made sure to like try to get to know investors when I wasn't raising get to know the team, get to know how they, their thesis is, understand how we might be able to work together. And so that allowed us to like not only think about strategics, right? Which is like very like kind of throughput, like strategic does the thing I want them to do. We do this thing. If we work with them, we'll just like be done, right? We'll have a mm-hmm. successful exit and we'll grow this company into you know, the most profitable company ever exists, right? Um, but that's like actually, it's actually a very narrow path, right? Like yeah. you're betting on the strategic, Predefined path, right? Predefined path, right? And it's actually kind of, and so the the flip is, well, if I start learning about how other groups look about their investment thesis, how they like to take risk, um, who they take bets on, what type of portfolios they build, more opportunities kind of show themselves, like, and not only what this round looks like, but what the next round looks like, the round beyond if we have to, if we continue on the path, right? Who are, Mm -hmm. we're kind of building our team, right? In the same way that we have built a team internally, we're building our team externally. It was different for us, at least, or at least, you know, I never really done much fundraising. So I, it felt comfortable, felt right. So we went on that path. You know, I, I identify with, and I appreciate um, the perspective to dig the well before you need the water. How then coming out of the perspective I am going to align with and getting very down the, far down the path of a, of a strategic leading the round, did you pivot towards uh, Align Climate Capital and other investors that came alongside. How did you find them or how did you decide kind of what was that process for you as a first time uh, CEO raising funding to to discern yeah. which company is going to be the lead and kind of there's a lot of politics to navigate there. And I use the word politics very specifically. Yeah, I mean, I, it was like I go back to, you know, knowing folks that we feel we can trust that get us that will have our back, you know, um, we hope to always have a strong, growing story here at Utility API, but you know, we, there's always a potential that that doesn't always be the case, and we want to make sure we're working with the right people when it's not going well. So the Align Group was actually, again, like I put a lot of weight into like, do I know you? Like, how do I know you? Do I respect mm-hmm. you? So the Align, you know, I know some of those folks from before, before I needed money, right? Um, yeah. one of their, one of their, uh, investors there, uh, Neka Kabule had worked for Elemental Accelerator. She was one of the smartest people I'd ever met in this space. And she has one of those brains that if you say something one time, like six years ago, she'll remember it and ask you about it and push you on it later. And that is a definite skill, right? Like yeah. to like, it's not just holding someone accountable. That's like, we all do that. But like, Hey, you put this thing out there, something you want to do. How's it going? How can I support you? Right. And so I actually asked her to be a board observer of ours before she was even aligned climate capital because mm-hmm. she pushed us in a way that was just great. And she ultimately, um, 
went to Aligned. But the other part about Aligned is it's run by a few folks I knew from before, a guy named Peter Davidson. Um, he ran the loan program office in the Department of Energy. I mean, I keep coming back to what mm-hmm. I know, DOE, right? Yeah. The loan program office right now is getting a lot of attention. It's run by Jiggershaw now. Um, they have hundreds of billions of dollars to invest. They didn't have that quite as much money to invest when Peter was there, but they had a hard challenge, but they still have. Just making bets where the market is not. And also, hey, make a return for taxpayers, though. Don't lose money, right? Which kind of cracks me up. If, if you're making bets where the market's not, it means you're making high-risk bets. And Peter was able to, you know, he ran that office and did a great job. And, and, and that's a hard job to do. So I always, he, I always respected him for that. And there was uh, another guy, uh, uh, Brendan, Brendan Bell, um, who also used to work with Peter. So they were, they, they were aligned. And then NECA went and worked there. So I said, wait a minute here. This is a good group of folks. <laughs> I want to talk to them when we go about raising. And at the time, they didn't have a venture fund. So um, they were doing growth equity. And, and so I was able to learn that they were also looking at doing, a, doing their venture fund. So the timing was great. Learn more about their investment thesis. They understand the energy business. Um, they care deeply, not just about, you know, I don't think they see themselves as impact investors, but they do understand mm-hmm. that diverse teams build better, stronger portfolios and stronger companies. And so it's just, I think, part of the investment thesis, right? Do they have the right people at the table? So I knew they cared about that. Um, and they, they, they just get, you know, I'll try not to use words like they just get it right. Like, but like they, yeah. they, they're, they're industry operators. They know what it's like to be on both sides of the table. And mm-hmm. I think that's actually important. Not all VCs can say the same thing. Raising capital is hard, no matter who you are, where you come from, you know, even for those with the proverbial silver spoon, I mean, there probably are folks for whom raising capital is easy because they were the first five people in meta or whatever, right. Yeah. Um, for the rest of us, normal humans, raising capital is hard. There are advantages that you um, that you sort of walk into, and there are disadvantages that you have to deal with. One of the uh, strong advantages is that you got to join a team that had a profitable business, um, already sort of vetted out for the most part, product market fit. They allowed you to come up through the ranks, um, sort of vote of confidence, and you were able to tap into a network that you'd built for a decade in various government agencies that gave you the the litmus test, the, the heuristics and the credibility, both on both sides of the page. Um, these are, you know, I'd say inherent embedded advantages for you. Talk a bit about then the disadvantages that you uh, had to overcome in the fundraising process at Utility API. Yeah. I, you know, it's uh, no secret that leading a company or, or fundraising while, while black in the U.S. is uh, something that people are going to be measuring you on. And just being black in the U.S. alone, it's not like I think about, oh, I, here I go. I have to fundraise as a black guy or here I go. I have to lead a company as a black guy. It's like, no, I just I just I live in this society where that's just part of like the, the fabric of, you know, you know, it's just the U.S. is, is, is a tough place for people of color in, in general. Um, we have a lot of systematic issues that we are hoping to address, trying to address, working to address. The challenge is there. It's like, you know, I, I don't, when fundraising, it's not really top of mind. The question is that you don't ever get to like really fully answer is when you walk in a room is, does this person see a CEO of a company with a really good idea? Or does this person see a black CEO of a company with a really good idea? Most likely they're going to see a black CEO and that's fine. Like, 
you know, we're, we're all human. We have all of our own uh, ways of putting people in categories. It's perfectly normal. I do the same thing. Um, next question though is, is that a chit, right? Is that, is that, a, is that a, a notch down? Is that something that they think mm-hmm. is a risk? Women probably have the same issues, right? Yeah. We, we've seen this, the, the statistics, right? Like, so I hope it's not an issue, but like, I don't think about it because I really can't, like I got a thing to sell. Right. But when you get the, the discussions afterward, like why they are deciding to pass or why that's not the right mm-hmm. thing. You know, one thing that I would like to focus on is like, hey, what did I not do well in my pitch? What could have been stronger? Um, but I don't ever get to be like, well, I can't ask them, what is it because I'm black? Right? Mm-hmm. So it's a sneaking feeling of unsettledness that, yeah. that, that I'll be quite honest, it just takes energy, right? That, mm-hmm. that, that, it just weighs, slowly, slowly, drip, 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 weigh, weighs on you. Fortunately, you know, we've had a pretty good conversation around this in the U.S., especially in the last three years. We haven't seen the needle move much, um, but I, I don't feel like, you know, I'm an advisor to a group called Green Technoir. It's literally mm-hmm. an organization for, for black people in, in climate tech. And it's great to have a community of folks who have these same questions and to have that support because we've all, we're all going through that daily. That, that disadvantage is just, it's a, it just takes extra work to carry that weight and and you know it is but it's also just part of being black in america it's not like it's a different feeling yeah you described it to me uh in a prior conversation as always being an an other yeah right this this term other um there is i feel like practically every article if you do a google search on sort of percentage of investment from vcs to black or minority founders you'll eventually land on an oft-quoted Crunchbase uh, article or a series of articles that point to precisely the time where you were trying to raise capital. Um, you know, it's um, it's well-documented that there were lots of joyous proclamations from uh, from uh, Sand Hill Road and other locations about how they were going to diversify venture capital. And um, certainly we saw a dramatic jump in 2020 and 2021 and then in 2022, when the proverbial belt tightened, um, <laughs> lo and behold, 50% drop in uh, VC dollars to black startup founders yeah. specifically um, in a segment that's historically uh, under 3% and traditionally around one or less than 1% of the total VC dollars. So uh, I'll link to some of those statistics and some of that data for the discerning that want to actually dig in deeper. But going through that process, did you feel with the utility API story that you are one of those statistics of the companies that like dramatically experienced the reduction and the pullback on specifically black founders. I mean, we, we were able to raise right during the time. So, um, yeah, you know, we, we closed around last year, so 22. So during the down yeah. year, we closed, right. Mm-hmm. Um, Congratulations. You know, <laughs> appreciate that. And, um, uh, you know, again, it's just like, we had to close this round. Like we, we, we had mm-hmm. built a company that, you know, we had the ability because we making money to, to find the right partners and uh, to find a, a structure that worked for us. And and we had partners that were great partners. And so we, these questions around, because we had a successful round, right? Like I didn't, it wasn't like, well, what would have happened, right? Um, uh-huh. I feel like because you had a successful round too, there are probably a lot of folks who did struggle more mightily than you who come to you for advice or, um, or at least... F- for whom you are a, an example of like, 
you know, able to get it across the finish line, your success story, right? And that's one of the reasons why Utility API is still growing uh, is because you were able to find, um, to be as a CEO, discerning partner for the team in finding aligned climate capital in, like I said, building, like you said, building that well, digging that well before you needed the water. In my observations sort or of listening through how you went about raising capital, I think that there are a lot of folks who probably didn't take the approach that you did. Um, and it's a long game approach. You know, this company is, we're hiring eight more people, right? So it'll be 50 people, right? So that, that's a lot of, Right. That's a lot of people's mortgages and, yeah. you know, childcare and everything else that's riding on us. And so everything we try to do has to be long game. Like we don't, mm-hmm. and maybe that's like not right to say in like a, a, a VC podcast or a, you know, investment podcast, but like we believe this, this market is huge and what proper and like, and what we build is fundamental infrastructure. Like this has to exist for the energy transition and for the decarbonization yeah. everything. Like if we're going to electrify everything, this yeah. has to exist. So mm-hmm. we run the company and build our products and hire the team with the long view of we're, we're an infrastructure company, right? Like yeah. some people build roads, some people rely roads, right? Like we're building data pipes. A lot of companies rely on us existing as well. Like cannot mm. say that deeply enough, right? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of companies use us. I mean, thousands over the time, like thousands and thousands and thousands. But like this, you know, this is great to see the industry grow because as the industry grows, we grow, right? We keep coming up. I think we're at, you know, 700 monthly users right now. Is there a, so as you describe that, for me, it comes, like what comes to mind is like the X of Y, right? And the closest analog I can think of is Plaid. Yeah. Do you use any of those types of analogies? You know, I, not really like, no, you know, like I, there's a bunch of companies that you know, we've, that, that have done different things. Plot has done something like this in FinTech. Twilio did this in, in, in telecom, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, even back, I think the company was called Yodley or something like that. Um, Min.com days, right? They had done something, right? Mm. This is, this is, this is a, a nice kind of blend, I think, of many of these. But the difference being here is that, we're trying to underpin energy services, meaning like energy is not a like nice to have. And so if we're trying to build infrastructure that is enabling the, the innovative technology companies to provide services to consumers alongside the energy utilities, this stuff needs to work all the time, right? This is not move fast and break things, right? And that's a trade-off that we had to make, we've wanted to make. Our founder, Daniels, was an engineer. We built stuff like, you know, you would build bridges in the real world. Dylan, before I let you go, I like to think of the way a building, a business is built, is building a big idea and the capital to fund it and the team to build it, right? And one of the things that impressed me the most as I learned more about how you structured your Series A is a very non-traditional approach that you insisted upon and and sort of tried to find a path for that provided greater opportunity in your team to participate in the success of the business. Can you talk about that process and what it ultimately means for utility API and what it could mean for 
thousands of other founders who could utilize this same exact model. Yeah, I appreciate it. I think it goes back to our, our conversation around uh, impact investing. But you also mentioned earlier, you know, the, the team gave me the opportunity to kind of rise up from, from, from the team, rise up the ranks, um, which is something we try to do for everybody here at Utility API. When we hire you, we better know your next two, three opportunities in front of you. And that's like, you, like there is not a job here that doesn't have a path to the next job. We, you know, it's investing in our people, full stop. Um, mm. So we, we were doing our Series A and something that was, I think, bothering me actually around the investment community writ large was it's mostly, you know, well-off white men. And the reason why most investors are well-off white men is because that's where much of the wealth is in this company, this country. And I felt it's like, well, if we believe diverse teams or stronger teams, shouldn't diverse investors also be stronger investors? Like, well, like we're missing something here. Like, I, I feel like we have a, like a, uh, an inefficient system, but like, how could I change that? Right. It was a question that I was asking myself. And so I approached one of the investment groups who was a, a, a an early stage investor who was going to be able to, you know, rise some pretty, um, pretty nice little return on their investment through this series A, right? They made a bet, company grew, they wrote some money. And I talked to them, I said, hey, you're an impact investor. You believe investing not only for a return, but also for making an impact, and primarily climate change, but also people. Can we try something different? What the, what the idea was is get the company to, sorry, the investor to say, hey, you know what? I agree that I want to invest in the people at Utility API. And what I approached them with was, I would like to use, to work with you to give members of the team here who come from diverse backgrounds, bigger equity stakes than they otherwise would have gotten based on the role experience. And the reason being then is if we give them a bigger stake than kind of what's traditional or what's standard, and Utility API has a successful exit, those folks will go from not being part of the investment community to being a pretty big piece of the investment community in one event. Um, yeah. you know, kind of like a climate event is trying to do, right? Everybody's an investor. And, you know, there's these thresholds we have to be an accredited investor. I think it's like, you know, two or $300,000 or something, whatever. And like, so how can we do that? And so I, I talked to this impact investment group and I said, Hey, do you, what would you think about letting, instead of you converting into our round, because it was convertible debt that they'd given us, can we essentially pay you back? So basically you're going to give up much of the upside of your investment in the dollars. But if we, if you let us pay you back, we'll take the equity that was due to you and we'll give it to these employees. Yeah. And they jumped at the idea. They said, oh my God, we've never thought about doing some of that before. Like, sure though, it's, it's almost like we turned their, their, their loan into a revolving fund, right? It was supposed to be an investment. But it was like, hey, we'll give you your money back plus your interest. You can go put the money in some other company and we will earmark the equity behind for these folks. And obviously, though, you do something that you got to bring the rest of your investors along with you because that's going to create yeah. some dynamics in the cap table that, you know, are ultimately, um, ultimately that equity should flow, should cascade, should waterfall through everybody, right? And we got everyone to agree to it. So, yeah, let's, let's, let's do this. This sounds novel. This sounds like we all, something we all want to, invest in and should create a stronger company, you know, should create a more um, resilient company, should create a company where people are loyal, where people, you know, want to stick around and, and, and help grow. 
And so we were able to do that during our Series A. Um, so really excited about that. And, and it's something that can be replicated. We were able to grow their pot of money by being a successful company. And we found a way for them to reinvest that pot of money in a way that is a little different than I think how they would have normally thought about it. Yeah. And tie back to something that is an intangible, something that is so often very difficult to ensure as an impact investor that your capital does, which is to provide opportunity to those who otherwise don't have opportunity. Capital to those who have a hard time getting capital. No, that's that's at the core of impact investing. And kudos to to the to that investor for taking that bold move. <laughs> well, Devin, I have really thoroughly enjoyed the the nature and uh, authenticity, vulnerability of the conversation that we've had. You know, you were raised in the Pacific Northwest, probably one of the community or regions that was the earliest to accept the realities of climate change. Um, even still, uh, I wonder uh, what's been the response of friends and family, your circles of influence to your career change from politics to climate change? Yeah, I appreciate that. I hadn't thought about that. You know, the Pacific Northwest, I think we were, were taught to recycle. And I remember distinctly, like, I think when I was like eight years old, we even learned about like the, the, the dam system, the Bonneville Power Administration, and like how clean, cheap power was like sustaining the, the Northwest. Um, it's ingrained in me, right? Like I, I can't live another way. And so like, this is just like, that's, it's, it's, it was just a great place to grow up because of the, the consciousness around environmentalism and then climate change. Mm. What do my friends and family think now? Uh, you know, I, I live outside of my, my job, really. Like, I, if you ask my parents what I do, they probably wouldn't be able to tell you. Um, but they know that I fight climate change as part of it, and they think that's pretty cool, right? And I think uh, yeah. my friends also think that's pretty neat. They like what I do is uh, I get to have an impact. I think that's more important to them. It's like, wow, right? You go to work every mm. day, and, like, you're working on something that, like is going to, like, have an impact. That's pretty cool. I'm like, yeah, it really is, like. Um, there's no, no motivator in knowing that like you're already out of time, right? Like climate change is here. And so right. that is, that is, uh, in itself, but when it comes to friends and, you know, and family, there's a few things pretty like friends that are like, you know, maybe, you know, in the lawyers or work in the legal system or, or people that work in finance outside of this space, right. They love the idea that I'm building a company. Um, yeah. and then that, again, though, building a company like, wow, you're building like a great company that also is like saving us. Like that is yeah. like. So cool. how did you pull that off, man? Right. And, um, and, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's always refreshing because, you know, they're not energy people. So it's all mystery to them really. Yeah. Um, and then I hope it always is like, you know, our company does not go to consumers. We go to the people that serve consumers. That's fascinating. And you said there's no motivator, like knowing that you're out of time, already out of time. Yeah. Something that in uh, episode two of climate Avengers, Grant Cannery from uh, mass reforestation said the same thing, right? That was his main motivator is like, we're, the earth is burning. We got to figure out how to stop yeah. it. Yeah. Um, no, that's exactly yeah. right. <laughs> it's literally. Well, well you worked at uh, elemental. Yeah. You have gotten a ton of opportunity through the years, through uh, the DOE and elemental to get exposure to, the climate tech scene. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to get your hot take on any climate tech investments that you'd make right now if you weren't so busy being CEO. <laughs> <laughs> I love that hot take. Um, there's a few, you know, I, I wish I had more time to be, you know, pay attention. Like um, companies that I think are just, you know, run by great people that are doing, trying to do smart things, right? Like there's a guy, uh, McGee Young, he founded a company called Watt Carbon, simply trying to use software to be able to measure our carbon impact, right? If we're going to fix climate change, we got to fix that. And like McGee is just one of the smart folks in our space. He used to be the company called Recurve, right? Recurve has oh, made yeah. a huge impact. 
right? He wrote most of their models, right? Like he, he no understands way. the problem in a way that most people don't. And wall carbon is super early. And I'm sure he'll, McGee will go through some different pieces and changes and ideas around like how to make this work. But like, if we're going to be measuring carbon and figuring out how to get that out of our, you know, energy mix, I would want to be investing in that guy who's going to figure that part out for us. You know, he's a, another one is a charger help. Uh, Camille and Yvette over there um, are, um, actually, I believe they're also in the line portfolio with us. Um, you know, they're, they're fixing EV chargers, right? Mm. Um Last charger help is the company. charger help. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, you know, I, I really just under like, it's such a tangible issue. Like who's this universal provider of like fixing this infrastructure that we need to exist. We all know what it's like. If you have an EV to pull up to charge, it doesn't work. You know, I really respect the team over at, um, at leap. Yeah. You have, you have a great story of the, the collaboration you guys have done as a, yeah. as a result, I think, of your LinkedIn post, right? Yeah, exactly. And so maybe it's like a little unfair for me to say that I would want to invest <laughs> in the folks that I, I work with, like outside of like the work stuff that we do. The, but like, I just like their their idea and their their, their thesis, right? Hey, like... Who's the CEO over there? Uh, Thomas um, Volker, I think is how you say that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, here's a problem. Like, there's a way that we can use everyday home devices and people can actually participate in an energy market. We can reduce energy consumption. We can, you know, lower the carbon impact and we can create a way for people to actually like feel that they're, you know, it's one thing to like do things cause it's like nice to do, but like it's nothing to get paid. <laughs> right. Like the future energy market needs that type of participation. Not enough people care about climate change. I mean, by the time people care, it's going to be too, too bad. So if we can figure out how to solve this in a way that helps people's pocketbooks, um, it's a yeah. really great path forward. I love that. Well, I'm going to link to Mickey Young, Camille Terry and her partner, uh, and Thomas Folker from Leap as well uh, in the show notes. How can the Climate Avengers community be of service to Utility API or to your broader vision for how uh, climate tech gets funded? You know, make those bets, right? Like I... I I think the climate adventures community is, is unique in that um, I, I love this. I mean, it's, it's an early stage opportunity, right? There's companies that are just ideas in the back of a napkin. They mm-hmm. just need a little bit of capital to get started and to hopefully take that idea into something that, you know, is the utility API or beyond. And mm-hmm. it's more important though. It's just not, you know, the, the way climate adventures brings it to the table is like, how can you actually um, sift through the noise, right? Yeah. I think Cloud Inventors helps do that immensely, right? No one wants to be just making bets to be making bets. And uh, when you're making uh, investments at that stage, you need some help. And so I appreciate that Climate Inventors is, is offering that, that hand because we do need more investors at that stage in this industry. I think people see the explosion happening like, oh my God, climate tech is everywhere. And but at the same time, we see companies laying people off right now. Right. We're just yeah. in a bit of a compression before the explosion. And yeah. I don't want that compression to limit people entering this market. If anything, we should be doubling down or that's probably not even enough. Like, let's take this magnitudes of, of like investment that are needed at the earlier stages. As, as we all know, Utility API and other companies in our space, right? Like the road is hard. A lot of companies don't even make it as far as we've gotten or beyond. Um, and giving folks with a good idea the chance saving to, to get started is, is so important right now. Thank you for the nod to the really hard work that goes into filtering and finding the talent, the opportunity, the 
the the places where, wherein bets can be made, one of the things that Alina says is you can save the planet and make money doing it. And you and the utility API folks are a great example of a company that's doing just that. Where do you like to be found? How can folks reach out and learn more about you and the company if they're so inclined? Yeah, I mean, I'm on I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you, you can always find me there. I uh, uh, also I, I have no problem. If you, uh, it just I, I'm not hard to find. Uh, we you know you can email me if you want um, or hit me with LinkedIn. Um, so do you want to go ahead and share your email sure. for those who might want to reach out? Yes, Devin at utilityapi.com. I'm going to ride that email address out as long as I can until it becomes taken over by the spam box. So, um, <laughs> nice. you know, it's a, it's a legacy in my government days. Everyone used to have to use their real name. And uh, I'm trying to keep that as long as possible here. Devin, on behalf of the entire Climate Avengers community, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being so uh, thoughtful about the way that you are building the company and raising capital and redistributing that equity and, and showing others how to do it as well. I think that it's a wonderful example and uh, it was an honor to get a chance to spend an hour with you. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for sharing in the conversation. Some, some good questions here. I, uh, you made me think about some things I haven't thought about in a while. So it was uh, nice to, to get pushed a bit about digging through how I'm actually making some of these decisions. Well, I really hope that you enjoyed that insightful conversation with my friend Devin Hampton. Devin, thank you for taking the time to share with us from the deep well of wisdom and knowledge that you've gained as a CEO of one of the more impressive climate tech startups I have come to observe. I think that the things that you're doing to create equity and diversity in our industry not only are needed, but they are uh, courageous. And I'm grateful for the hard work that you and many others are putting into ensuring that there's a pathway for others to follow. Thank you. And I hope that you, as a listener, have benefited from this. I really hope that you'll internalize the lessons that you're learning, not just in this episode, but many others on Suncast. I'd love to hear how these stories are impacting you. You can email me directly, nico at mysuncast.com. I love interacting with folks in the comments of our posts on LinkedIn. You can find all of our socials at the show notes page at mysuncast.com where we outline all of the resources that are shared in each of these episodes and how you can connect with the guests as well as myself. Um, So thank you for making it this far in the episode. I hope that you'll show up again next week where we'll have a practical, tactical episode on Tuesdays with a subject matter expert, or maybe it's a short glimpse into one of our past episodes, one of the really smart things that one of our really smart guests had to say that should help orient you and develop your own business or career. And then on Thursday, we've got our friend Dan Leary, a true OG solar warrior who founded Nextamp and Panel Claw and has a very interesting business that you will not want to miss out on. While you are taking a moment to go online, please take a second, if you will, to rate and review the show and or leave us a five-star review in the podcast app that you're on. It's so easy. You can do it at at ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast. And it truly does make a difference. And I mentioned in the intro, but I'll mention again, if you haven't started listening to Climate Avengers, I hope that you will do so. You can subscribe by searching it in your podcast player. Also by going to resourcelabs.co, the home of our podcast network, where we will have more podcasts that we'll be announcing in the not too distant future. 
You can learn more about Alina, our wonderful host, and why she and I started this crazy adventure called Climate Avengers Podcast by listening back to the earlier episodes. Hope you'll do that. And I also hope that you'll take a moment to thank our sponsors by visiting their social media pages and checking them out. Uh, they make it free for you to listen each and every week. You don't have to pay a penny. You have to pay your attention. Uh, and you have to forego the time you'd put into something else. You can learn more about them and their offers at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. And of course, if you'd like to figure out how you could partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week, just like they do, that's where you'd want to go. Mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.